And the Oscar for Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role goes to Jack Palance, City Slippers. You know, there are times when, uh, when you reach a certain age plateau where the, uh, the producers say, they talk about you and they say, well, what do you think? Can we risk it? Can we do it? Can we use him? The other guy says, I don't know, let's look at some younger ones. We can make them look older, but this one, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of difficult. They forget, they forget to ask that you go out there and you do all these things. Like, for instance, you know, you go out there and you do these... Jack Palance accepting his 1992 Best Supporting Actor Oscar at age 73, dropping to the floor and doing one-armed push-ups to prove a point. Older actors still have value. During the last few years in media and marketing, many in their 50s found themselves unemployed for the first time as the pandemic took hold and they were among the first packaged out. NABS is now re-offering its course for those at midlife wondering what to do next based on Julia Molden's book, Ripe, Rich, Rewarding Work After 50. We welcome Julia to this episode of the podcast to talk about discovering passion, purpose, and possibility at midlife. Hi, I'm Julia Molden. I am a consultant and an author, and I launched my practice 35, 37, 38, I don't know, I should have done the math, years ago when I was 12. Um, and my practice has evolved over the years. So I started out as a speechwriter and then got into doing a wide range of communications work, including uh, marketing communications, and then decided that I wanted to uh, write some books because I've been writing for other people for so many years. And what about my own voice, you know, the stories I wanted to tell. And I realized that I was really good at identifying emerging trends. And so that would be my first book, which was First Environmental Guide for Business. And then my second book was about meaningful work, which is, of course, everywhere now. But it was a new idea when I wrote the book. And then my third book, which is about work after 50. And so my practice, though, you know, obviously I, I give talks and lead workshops and so on, having to do with the content of the books. But my practice kept expanding, partly because, you know, I was I've been doing it for a lot of years and I didn't want to be doing the same thing. I had to keep challenging myself. I also wanted to respond to the needs of my clients. So it kept evolving as their needs did. And from my own life and from the people that I was observing, um, you know, doing interviews and so on, I could see that being in transition is a really difficult thing for people. Most of us don't really understand that there are steps and stages and there's a mindset, there's a real process that you follow. So once I was able to see that and map it out, I realized that I could develop this whole other side of my business. So I now say I'm a communications expert, but also a transitions expert. And it was through that work that I was able to develop this model that's at the heart of the program that I designed for NABS. Let's talk about where we're at, both in the media and marketing sector, and also overall demographics, because while we're aging as a population, the percentage of media workers over 50 is actually not representative. Yeah, I mean, it's it's abysmally small, isn't it? Uh, the number of people or the percentage of people 
in the industries that NAB serves and, you know, that are in your audience is the astonishingly low 5%. So only 5% of the workforce are people 45 and over, which does not represent their audience at all. And of course, it's going to change over time. And I've got, you know, the kind of big picture thing to share with your audience. But yeah, that's the cold, hard fact. Is the lower representation because media workers over 50 tend to be among the first packaged out in an inevitable oh, round yeah. of layoffs? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, the industries that, you know, NAB serves, which is the way I think about advertising and media and communications, film production, etc. They skew young, or at least they did for a long time. So when I wrote my book about work after 50, it was published in 2011. And the world was very different then. Uh, Things have changed substantially. You know, you can see all kinds of content that has been produced, Grace and Frankie being an example that comes to mind, for older viewers. And when I wrote Ripe, it was it was just anybody over 50, you know, if you were a producer, nobody was taking your call. So the world has changed in the last decade and will continue to change. Um, but we're still we're still at the stage where some of the powers that be, and I can tell you that's shifting in advertising agencies, and I'll tell you about that in a minute, still think that you have to be young in order to be appealing or sexy even, you know, which of course I wholeheartedly disagree with. I want to come back to that idea, but can we talk about Freedom 55? Life insurance was never my favorite subject. The idea of putting money into something that didn't pay off until I died never appealed to me. Then our London life agent told us about a retirement package called Freedom 55. It gives us all the life insurance protection we need, and it'll help me retire as early as age 55. Then we'll really start putting the miles on old Betsy here. This is something we were all sold as a tangible idea, but in the current economy, and, and a lot of us media workers don't have a pension if we moved around a lot. Most of us are going to have to work well into our 60s or 70s. Not only that, but you talk in the book about how many Canadians are going into retirement with some amount of debt. Oh, sure. Significant mortgages, you know, whatever it might be, just, you know, one midlife divorce or career change, you know, reinvention. And suddenly, you know, this this uh, financial path that you would laid out for yourself is, is, you know, just exploded. It's just not there anymore. So first of all, uh, vast majority of people surveyed say so four out of four out of five people who hit 50 say that they want to continue working in some way. I mean, we realize that number one, we might need money. And number two, you know, the the value that we have in the world and our ability to just continue to do things. So even if we don't need money, we want money. But also we're looking for something meaningful. You know, either we want to do something that we never had a chance to do, or we want to continue on and really take things to the next level. And all of the serious studies, the longitudinal studies of how to age successfully, say being active and engaged are critically important. So this notion of just doing somersaults on the beach for the rest of your life, that's really not a way to grow old gracefully. It's in fact a recipe for decline. And so my work is all around helping people realize 
the value of work in your life because work is a really, really good way to stay active and engaged. And for organizations to realize the power of the older worker. You know, we've talked about diversity over the years and made significant inroads, but now our notions of diversity and inclusion have to include older people too. So it's both the individuals and the organizations they work for that are shifting in how they think about people at this stage. One of my favorite stories in the book that you recount is Jack Palance accepting his 1992 (laughs) Best Supporting Oscar at age 73 in which he dropped to the floor and did a series of one-armed push-ups. And all of the actors over 50 who have since dominated a lot of those categories, is the tide turning in terms of ageism? How much of that idea about worth and age is tied up in media and marketing messaging? My thinking is organizations change when it's in their interest to change. So media and marketing messaging has to do with what they think will make them the most successful. So what we need to do is help organizations realize, look, there's money to be made from this age group. So it's not shift your messaging because it's the right thing to do, but shift it because it's in your interest, which, you know, going back to diversity, that's really how organizations that caught on to diversity, and I don't know if you, you remember, but really the, the initial diversity efforts were through the organizations like the banks that were federally regulated. So it wasn't that they were doing it out of the goodness of their hearts, but because they had to. So that's what I think is going to drive change, will be need, necessity, and ROI. Let's talk about your program. You have both a 12-week program and then a consolidated version that NABS is about to reoffer, and it's based on four steps. Do you want to talk about those steps and how you came to develop Right? You know, at a very high level, Right came from my own life, where I realized, you know, there was a lot more that I wanted to do. I had been, I went to a party in the financial district in Toronto, and I was feeling really great, and I said to this woman that I met, hi, my name's Julia, I've just turned 50. And she said, why are you telling people you've turned 50? You look incredible. Nobody's going to guess that you're 50. And I thought, wow, I have entered into a new land that I know nothing about. And everybody will now think that I'm unattractive, uninteresting, and basically useless, you know, which does not sit well with me. So it came from my own experience. And then from looking around at the world, this is the emerging social trends piece. And then the, the four steps of the, the model that I've developed, I'm just writing them down because I'm trying to remember them because I just renamed one. Let's see if I can remember them all. So review which is so step one is review, which is you look back over your shoulder and you go, huh, look at that, some real peak experiences in my, in my career. You know, I really, like I had some really good moments and I have value in the marketplace. So that's a really important thing to do. And then reflect is the next step. And that's where you look inside. So it's not just, you know, the things you do, but the things you think and feel. So what are your values? So if, if 
review is about your value in the marketplace. Reflect is about, you know, what you value most highly. And that's a really important determinant when you start to think about what you want to do with the rest of your life. So it's not what other people want from you exclusively, but also what you want. And then the third stage or step is reframe. And that's so, so this has been, you know, an internal process where you've, you've looked at your life and uh, career, and you've looked inside. And now you want to look outside at the world around you. Um, because Peter Drucker said that the ideal job is the intersection between what the world needs uh, and what you're looking for. So you need to get a really good sense of what's going on around you. And some people, when they go through this transition, continue on a similar path, but some discover that they want to go off and do something completely different. But either way, you need to examine what's going on in the world, meet new people, you know, familiarize yourself with how the world has changed and beyond your industry, because this is what happens to us, right? We get tunnel vision because we are you know, working really hard and our contacts are mainly in the same sector and so on. But this just blasts the doors open and gives you a chance to look around. And then the final step is rewire. And that's where you bring all of the clues, all of the bits and pieces together, and you go through a decision-making process that's familiar to you. So if you're you know, intellectual, if you're creative, whatever it might be, something that has worked for you in the past. And of course, you can learn some new tools and you start to get insight into um, what it is you might do next. And, you know, I've worked with a thousand people. We've put hundreds of people through the NABS Right program and people go on to do really interesting things. Getting laid off when you are in a very public role in media or communications can be very isolating. Can you talk about working with industry people over 45 and what you hear when they come to the program? Well, it's terrifying. It's like being pushed off a cliff and particularly for the high profile examples. And there've been quite a number of them in Canada. I mean, it's it's really, really tough to recover from. So we, we designed the program based on my book and based on the model to meet the needs of this particular cohort to first of all, to be a kind of triage, to say to them, look, you know, you, you're not alone. Here's what's happening. You do have value in the marketplace. It's going to be okay. There are people ahead of you on this path. Lots of people land successfully. Everybody who continues with the work does so. So we, we you know, we give them that kind of perspective. And then we, we teach them the steps, the specific skills and the mindset required, because it is a particular mindset. So uh, I often say to people, you, you know, your future is in your hands. So what happened to you was largely, although not exclusively, largely beyond your control. So if the, if the industry skews young and you're not young, you know, you have a number on your forehead. It's only a matter of time. But there is a lot that's within our control. And the way we approach you know, this transition and the new people that we connect with and the, and the positions we apply for. So I call it the ripe credo, so positive, constructive, and hopeful. So we help people really from the, you know, the emotional recovery, really, perspective, and then from the deep, deeply practical, too. Let's talk about finding passion. 
I write a few hundred obituaries a year for broadcast dialogue for former broadcasters and film and TV workers. And what I've observed through that process is that often it's the work that people do after 45 that is probably most aligned with both purpose and who they are as a person. Interesting, eh? You know, and I I would love to create another subset of these, you know, examples that you just mentioned to see if it's even more common for women, because what we're finding in the research is that women come into our own later in life because we have uh, responsibilities, you know, that men don't always share when we're younger. So we're raising families, for instance, and we're, we're divided all the time. And then suddenly when we get into our 50s and 60s, then we really start our, our careers really start to take off. But, you know, I, I mean, I just think it's a natural part of the human arc that we initially we exist for other people. You know, we, we have to do well in school and we have to be a, you know, a good part of the family. And, you know, we have to build our, our own families and pay off our mortgages and all of that. And then we can start to think about what else there is And in fact, it might even be unfinished work. You know, psychologists would talk about it that way. You know, the the things that we haven't brought to the surface. Plus, I think there's an element of mastery. I think that, you know, it's certainly true in my case. I'm a thousand times more confident than I was at 30. I know a billion times more stuff and more people. And so it just makes sense to me that 66, I feel like I'm making my greatest contribution. You discuss review and reflection a lot in your book. How Mm -hmm. vital is that to the process of really moving towards something meaningful, especially for people who've had really demanding careers? Yeah. I mean, it's uh, with the demanding careers, what you're doing is showing up and giving your all to what's required of you. You're not thinking a lot. And, you know, I've worked with lots of people who've just been moved up and up and up, you know, who who haven't had to chase, but have been rewarded because they meet the needs of the organization. And then it's really important if you want to satisfy this inner self, which is, of course, a vitally important part of our lives that, you know, is, uh, I don't want to say set aside, but you know, it takes a kind of backseat role that if you want that part to feel satisfied and fulfilled, if you want to pay attention to what it's saying to you now, which is, you know what, I want something more, you need to know who you are. And there are clues in the, the review piece when you look back at your career. And there are clues in the reflect piece. And it's the reflect piece that's new for most people. I worked with a a guy who came from the banking sector um, and ended up being a social venture capitalist. And I said, oh, Rod, you're getting to know yourself all over again or something. And he said, no, Julia, I'm getting to know myself for the first time. You know, and that's where many of us, if not the majority of us, find ourselves at this stage of life. You've helped over a thousand people through this process, as you mentioned. 
tell us about some of those interesting stories of where some of your clients went on to in their career journey. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just so interesting because even the people that, you know, in the NAPS Right program, you know, who get told, well, you know, you're toast at this age, you'll never work in this industry again, find something else, discover something else as a result of going through the program. So, so there are two groups of people, the way that I group, you know, what happens to people is they either become pathfinders, so they go off and do something different, or they become masters, they say, you know what, I'm still passionate about this path. And I want to find a way to stay on it in some way or another. So there are people who go back into the big agencies or the big media companies. There are people who go into the smaller boutique companies or they start their own. A lot of them make uh, lateral moves. You know, they go to work for an organization. There's a, a gal who became VP of marketing for the ROM, the Royal Ontario Museum here in Toronto, uh, at 69. And she'd already had a long, successful career and had, you know, quotes, retired, you know, and then discovered, you know what, I don't want to sit around and do nothing for the rest of my life. So masters are, were, for me, as I was writing the book, a really interesting surprise, because what we hear about all the time are the pathfinders. These are, you know, the people who say, I'm, I, you know, I've always wanted to be a chef or, you know, open a, a B&B, I almost said Airbnb. Are B&Bs still in existence? But anyway, you know what I mean? Um, and so in, in that category, you know, we've had people, you know, who've come from these industries or the industries that I've worked with, they go into cybersecurity, they, they go and work in the tech startup space, they become teachers all the way along the spectrum, you know, from teaching little kids all the way through to being at universities, they become entrepreneurs and consultants, or some of them do the thing they've always wanted to do, you know, become an artist, or, you know, go back to school to study uh, divinity, you know, and become a, a minister or a priest, which is very interesting and not surprising, I think, at this stage of life. But now the world, now that, so this has been happening for about a decade, and now the world is starting to catch on. Ah, they say, emerging artists, when we're giving awards, doesn't always refer to somebody who's 22. That person might be 52. So you can see how it's changing. And I talk, I think, in RIPE about Doris McCarthy the Canadian painter. And when I met her, she was in her early 90s. And she said that when she retired from teaching at 65, that she thought the next major event of her life would be her funeral, you know, dark humor. Um, but in fact, she then went on to have a nearly 40 year painting career and her work hangs in collections around the world. So there are all kinds of amazing things that people end up doing. I've gone through the process of being laid off at age 40. And uh -huh. there, there is that, that immediate sense of sort of loss and maybe a little bit of shock, even though this has become, you know, standard in the industry. But is there an optimal time to come in and receive your message, Julia? Mm -hmm. uh, so I can lay my hands on people, you know, and share the good message of right. I, uh, you know, it's quite an image there, Connie. Thank you for that. I, um, 
you know, we've, we've had people uh, in their thirties in the program and I'm always sending out the word, you know, I've got a, a couple of CBC producers that I stay in touch with. I want to get the word out there. Look, people, it's coming, you know, you've seen it, but nobody ever thinks it's going to happen to them. Um, you know, they're good at their job. They're going to be there forever, or they'll be able to, you know, make some kind of lateral move. Do not keep your head in the sand. And besides which, you know, you can create this extraordinary next chapter and probably multiple chapters. You know, my life keeps evolving. And so indeed do the lives of a lot of the people that I've worked with. It's not one reinvention and you're done. But once you've learned the technology, as I say, so once you've learned the model and the basics, you can reapply it and reapply it. And in fact, a lot of the people that have come through my shop end up teaching it to their kids because, you know, young people, right? You you can be anything you want, which means that, you know, ah, what am I going to be and how am I going to figure it out? So the model works for people of any age as well. You're appearing in an upcoming documentary. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, it's about time somebody did a documentary on this topic. It's called Golden, The End of Ageism, and it's produced by Sunday Night Entertainment. So people can have a look for their website. And it's in the can. It will be released soon. It's already been screened at one festival and got two thumbs up from the jury. So what we wanted to do, and I'm, I'm a, one of the featured experts, it's, you know, it's not my project, but what we wanted to do was shine a light on ageism. I mean, it's this extraordinary thing that makes absolutely no sense. And yet I, I see why it's happening. And so we want to, we want to tell the story of why ageism, why now, and where it's going to go. So how things are starting to shift. Do you have a thought you want to close on, Julia? I think it's really important for people to not practice auto-ageism. We want to shift the way the world treats us, and it begins with the way we treat ourselves. So don't refer to things that you you know, fluff up as seniors moments. People do that at all stages of life. Take care of yourself, stay active and engaged, and really just get out there and fight the good fight. Keep going until you can't go any further. Thank you so much for joining us, Julia. My pleasure. There are just a handful of spots remaining open for the next offering of the NABS Write program. Learn more at nabs.org. For Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, I'm Connie Teeson. Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm 
Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.